Our scripture reading this evening comes from Romans, first chapter, verses 8 through 15. Romans chapter 1, verses 8 through 15. Romans 1, verse 8. First, I thank my God through Jesus Christ for all of you, because your faith is proclaimed in all the world. For God is my witness, whom I serve with my spirit in the gospel of his Son, that without ceasing I mention you always in my prayers, asking that somehow by God's will I may now at last succeed in coming to you. For I long to see you, that I may impart to you some spiritual gift to strengthen you. That is, that we may be mutually encouraged by each other's faith, both yours and mine. I do not want you to be unaware, brothers, that I have often intended to come to you, but thus far have been prevented, in order that I may reap some harvest among you as well as among the rest of the Gentiles. I am under obligation both to Greeks and to barbarians, both to the wise and to the foolish. So I am eager to preach the gospel to you also who are in Rome. There was a young man in 1536 who uh, was on a trip. He was trying to make his way uh, to Strasbourg, Germany, and he was passing through Switzerland, and he determined to stay a night in Geneva. It was his plan to only stay one night. But word got out that he was in town, and so a man by the name of William came and spoke to him. And that one conversation changed everything. That conversation was between William Farrell and a young John Calvin. And William Farrell, in that conversation, persuaded Calvin to, to stay in Geneva and to help him see the Reformation through in Geneva. And outside of just one time away uh, for a few years, uh, this is where he stayed to the rest of his days. One, one conversation, a word of encouragement from one man to another and to pursue his gifts uh, for the sake of Christ and his church. Probably every person in this room can remember many conversations like that, a conversation that changed you forever. You were on the cusp of perhaps deciding to go to this school or whether to take this this job or to pursue this romantic relationship. Who knows how many of these conversations we've had or a time that uh, you were very down and that person came to you with that timely word that, that comforted you or a time when you were not sure what you needed to do and you needed that encouragement and that strength of that conversation of that person. The church is filled uh, with uh, gifts of the Spirit, whereby we are met to encourage one another and help each other, especially in times of need. And our passage this evening uh, speaks to this. It grounds us well in terms of what we should understand. What is our goal in these sorts of things? How do we practice our gifts? Uh, What is it that, that motivates us? And Paul speaks very candidly to this church in Rome. It's not a church that he planted. Uh, these are Christians that he has never met. But he needs to introduce himself and to introduce his ministry and explain the gospel, which is what he does. But in these verses, he tells them why he wants to come and what he wants to do. And he begins, as he does in many of the epistles in the New Testament, with the church at Corinth or, or Ephesus, not in Galatia, and in Philippi, Thessalonica, he begins with thanksgiving. And that's how he begins here. He prays. 
for this church oftentimes, but he says he prays for them, this church at Rome, with thanks. He does so, he says, because of their faith, uh, that Christians are hearing of his faith. You have these these churches in the outskirts in these obscure places. We need to remember that. The Middle East is not exactly the, the center of the civilized world. It's Rome. And word has got out that the very epicenter of Rome, there are Christians, people who have come to confess Jesus Christ. And this news has been a great encouragement to churches in, in the Middle East and other other places. And so it's being reported, and this is what he's so thankful for, that their faith in Jesus Christ is is being known, is being reported other places. He thanks God through Jesus Christ, he says, presenting his thank offering of a prayer through the great high priest, Jesus Christ. But in this prayer, he says he wants to see them. And he says, and God is my witness. He knows how often I've prayed this prayer, uh, how often I want to come see you. He can see how often I pray for you, but especially this prayer that somehow perhaps I can come now and see you. And he sees that this opportunity is open to us, and he's grateful to God. Finally, he can come to this church, and he can meet them. But why does he want to do this? He wants to encourage them. This is what he tells us in verses 11 and 12. He says, that I may impart to you some spiritual gift. So we need to talk about spiritual gifts. So this evening we're in Spiritual Gifts 101. And here's where we begin. Gifts are bestowed by the grace of God. A gift, you could say, is a manifest form of grace. Romans 12, 6. Having gifts that differ according to the grace given to us. It's interesting that the word gift and the word grace, they come from the same word, which makes perfect sense. What is it that makes a gift a gift? Well, you didn't buy it. I mean, if you did, if you bought it for yourself, that's kind of weird. It doesn't fit the sermon this evening. But a gift is not something you bought. Something else bought it for you. It's not something you earned. It's it's not something that you made or you even asked for. It's a favor. Now think of what grace is. Grace is an undeserved favor. We would say unmerited favor, perhaps even a demerited favor. A gift is a favor. It's an, it's an endowment of, of kindness that you did not earn and did not purchase. So we could say this, that every gift is a manifestation of grace. Every manifestation of grace is a gift. What does Paul want to do? He wants to come and he grace these brothers and sisters. He wants to impart some spiritual gift to strengthen them, he says. To strengthen them. And you see, now we come to the second principle of Spiritual Gifts 101. And that gifts, described like they are here in this passage, are not gifts in the sense of they're like birthday presents. They're not like trophies or collector items that we take home and put on a shelf and, and display them. That's not what is meant by gifts. Gifts is something that is given to you for the good of others. For their encouragement. For their strength. Or to bring unity to the church body. We read in 1 Corinthians twelve seven, To each is given the manifestation of the Spirit... For the common good. Or, First Peter 4.10, as each has received a gift, use it to serve one another. So the gifts that you and I are apportioned by the Spirit are not for us, they're really for others. Think in the, the book, The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe. There's the point in the story where Father Christmas shows up, kind of inexplicably, really. And he gives gifts to the four children. He gives to Lucy a diamond bottle. It's magnificent. It's beautiful. It'd be something you would think you'd go home and 
and put on a shelf, put in your dining room to display. But that's not the gift. The gift is what's inside. It's a special ointment. Like one drop of this will heal another person who might be very sick, perhaps close to death. That's the gift. The gift is not for Lucy. It's for her to share and to help other people, to bring healing. And that's exactly the case with gifts in the Bible. The purpose of those gifts is to help another person or to build up the body. We see this in Ephesians 4, where in verse 11 and 12, Paul talks about the ministry of the word is what builds up the body. It, it brings it to maturity and strength and, and unity. But as you close out that section of verse 15 and 16, he says, but as each member of the body does its part, practicing their gifts, this builds up the church with unity, strengthening it in love. And this happens through a diversity of gifts. It's the same spirit that gives us gifts, but it gives us different gifts. In the world, diversity many times is treated with suspicion and creates jealousy and division and hatred. But in the church of Jesus Christ, this is what is our strength. It's this diversity that promotes unity. This is the thing that brings about more stability. This is what Paul wants to do. He wants to to come with spiritual gifts, and he wants to encourage his brothers and sisters, and he wants to strengthen their faith. But in verse 12, you can almost see the Apostle Paul with a quill in his hand, and he's putting on his chin. He says, I'm thinking about what I just said. He says, I need to rephrase it a little bit. He says, that is that we mutually encourage one another's faith. See, that's a little different. You see, Paul wants to come and to encourage his, his brothers and sisters' faith, but in turn, he also needs to be encouraged by their gifts in their faith. This is an amazing thing. Paul comes to them with a superior office as an apostle, but he does not come with a superior attitude. This is not really the thing that we would expect, that the apostle Paul needs to be helped by, by them. There are things that he can learn. There's ways in which he can be strengthened by their gifts, things that he can, he can gain. Yes. Yes. It's interesting, like in Ephesians 6, when Paul talks about the armor of God, that uh, you need to put on this piece of armor and that armor, and how does he conclude it? He concludes it by talking about prayer. He says, in addition to all this, pray. Pray at all times with all sorts of prayer requests. And then he says this. He says, and pray also for me, that I may preach the gospel boldly as I ought. He's looking to the church of Ephesus to pray for him, that he would pray as he ought to pray. So he's looking for this this mutual encouragement. Paul's not the only one with gifts, and what this reflects is the reality that every Christian is endowed by God with gifts. Not just a gift, probably even a cluster of gifts and the Holy Spirit. There's no Christian without a gift. First Corinthians twelve eleven. The same Spirit apportions to each one individually as He wills. And these gifts they need to be exercised, they need to be used, they need to be developed, they need to be shared for other believers and for the church. And we use these gifts to seek the benefit of of one another with our respective gifts. Paul says to the church in Thessalonica in chapter 5, 11, he says, encourage one another and build each other up just as you were doing. Hebrews 10 says the same thing. Spur one another on. Provoke each other, you could translate it, to good deeds by these gifts. 
So this is what Paul wants to do. He wants to strengthen them, but he wants to be mutually encouraged as well. But in verses 13 through 15, he's starting to give us the goal. We could, we, we could entitle it fruit. Now he begins by saying that he long desired to come to Rome, but it had been prevented until now. There could be lots of explanations for this. In AD 49, Claudius expelled all the Jews out of Rome. Perhaps that was part of the problem. In 1 Thessalonians 2, Paul speaks there that he intended a certain course of action, but Satan prevented his plans. But ultimately, we know that was not God's will. But he kind of won't let this go. Why does he say, I plan to visit you? I don't want you to be unaware that many times I wanted to come. Why would he say this? And it's perhaps because they may feel slighted. Paul doesn't care about us, not like the way those churches that he started. Perhaps they feel like they can't measure up to Paul. But this is, this is not the case. It's an important insight into Paul that he cares for all the churches. This is what he says in 2 Corinthians 11. When he gives that resume of all of his suffering, all the things that he has endured for the sake of Christ, he ends it in verse 11. Besides everything else, I face daily pressure of my concern for all the churches. Not just the churches he started. He's concerned for all the churches of Jesus Christ. This is why he wants to visit them, he says in verse 13. He wants to see a spiritual harvest. He wants to see real fruit come from whatever he does, whatever he's able to share in their midst. That's the goal and the hope of any ministry. It's to see a spiritual fruit. It's to see it produce good things for God, to see the blessings of the Spirit and and maturity and growth and Christians filled with love and joy and peace and and holiness and righteousness, walking in, in godliness. That's what Paul wants. This is not about whether he started the church. It doesn't even matter whether he's met any of them or not. This is not about any of that. It's not about him. In 1 Corinthians 3, Paul is addressing this very problem of the party spirit in Corinth. And he says this, What, after all, is Apollos? And what is Paul? Only servants, as the Lord has assigned to each his task, neither he who plants nor he who waters is anything, but only God who makes things grow. We are God's fellow workers. You are God's field. That's all he's concerned about. It's not about Paul. It's not about himself. We have many faithful brothers and sisters who understood this very thing. John Calvin, for instance, who I spoke of earlier. When he's near death, he called his friend Beza to his bedside. And he had certain things he wanted done when he died. And one of them was to make sure there was no song and there was no marked grave. That he would be buried in an unmarked grave. Because it wasn't about John Calvin. It's about the gospel. And Paul serves this gospel. That's why he serves his brothers and sisters. That's why he wants them to be encouraged. He says even he's indebted to this cause. He's Obligated Under obligation, he says, to all men for the sake of the gospel, whether Greeks or barbarians or wise and fools, doesn't matter. He's obligated to Christ. And because he's obligated to Christ, he's obligated to preach the gospel, and he's obligated to preach it in Rome. And he's eager to do so because all that matters is the gospel of Jesus Christ. Preaching that gospel, seeing the fruit of that gospel, it doesn't matter who's preaching it. Paul doesn't care whether he's in chains, if it helps the cause of the gospel, as he says to the church in Philippi. 
Paul's not looking for credit. He's looking for a spiritual harvest to the glory of God. And we could stop now and simply say, you and I ought to serve one another in the same way, with the same motives, with the same prayer, with the same thanksgiving, to encourage each other. That what's behind what we do is to build each other up, to see the needs of one another as more significant than our own. And not just to encourage, but to be mutually encouraged in our faith in Christ. You see, it's about faith. And that's the key as we come to the close of this. The key for our gifts to find the right effect is whether you have a good aim. What are you aiming at? Notice again what he says in verses 11 and 12. He says, I long to see you that I may impart to you some spiritual gift to strengthen you. That is, that we may be mutually encouraged by each other's faith, both yours and mine. The aim is to encourage and to be encouraged by each other's faith. And you see what Paul shows us, and something that would not be true probably a lot of Christians today. The gifts, that's not the goal. The gifts are a means. They're a means to something more important, something greater, and that is faith. Faith is key. And in fact, the gospel has no meaning for us apart from faith in Jesus Christ. John Calvin put it this way. As long as Christ remains outside of us and we are separated from him, all that he has suffered and done, he remains useless to us and of no value. And he's saying it's by faith that we lay hold of Christ. And for us to receive the benefits of all that he's done, it must be by faith. Faith is that instrument by which we lay hold of all the benefits of Christ's death and his resurrection. For the forgiveness of our sins and for God to accept us as righteous in his sight because of that righteousness of Christ credited to our account. To receive the privilege of being adopted in the family of God to enjoy the the working of his Holy Spirit, that we would die to sin and walk in ways of righteousness. All these and all the other benefits that flow from and accompany our justification and adoption of sanctification, these all must be held of by faith. More accurately, faith in Christ. John Murray says it's not faith that saves us. It's faith in Jesus Christ that saves us. And that's exactly what, what Paul is aiming for. Is faith. That's what's necessary for salvation. That's what's necessary for the whole of the Christian life. We walk by faith, not by sight. But here's the problem. Our faith is under constant attack. And there are seasons where our faith suffers. And there are seasons of, of doubt. Our confession of faith is faith is weak or strong. It may be often and in many ways assailed and weakened, and it is, is by our own sin. Our sinful failures reveal how feeble sometimes our, our faith is. And they make us feel not just weak, but vulnerable. Or those ways of adversity that just pound away at our faith and wear us down through disappointments. Or the trials that erode our confidence in God's care so that we begin to wonder about God's love or perhaps his wisdom or, or his goodness or his plan. And there are many times when some of us in this room 
have said secretly in our hearts, but not out loud, I am barely hanging on. See what this passage is getting at is, is our faith desperately needs to be encouraged and to be strengthened and to be, to be built up by one another. But we must never forget that Christ cares about your faith as well. In John 14, 1, in one of these moments of tenderness with his disciples, he says this. He says, let not your hearts be troubled. Believe in God. Believe also in me. It's as if he is saying, trust me. That's, his, that's what he's saying, trust me. And he's given to us so many promises in his word to, to assure us that he is there to, to strengthen our faith, to strengthen this very belief that he's calling his people to. But those things don't come in a vacuum. They come to us undergirded and cushioned and surrounded and energized and held by so many means of grace that he gives to us. For instance, the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit's role is to bear witness to Christ in our hearts, to bear witness to our spirit of who we are, and that Christ is ours, that we belong to him, that we would not lose faith. He gives us the word of God, and we open it, and almost everywhere in the word you see these promises that assure us of the love of God, that love that gets, that gets a hold of you and does not let go. He gives to us prayer. Those opportunities we have to go on our knees and to cast our cares upon him, to bring to him all of our discouragements, even our very fragile faith. And he tells us that he comes to cover us with that peace of God that transcends human understanding and manufacture, that guards our hearts and our minds in Christ Jesus. He gives us these good things, but he also gives to us a family, a church family, the communion of saints, Gifted brothers and sisters that help one another. And each of us has known those moments where somebody came and they, they sought us out. And they asked us questions. And they kept asking us questions until we told them the truth. And then they listened. And then they comforted us. And they prayed for us. And that's what we do in the church. We come to each other's side, to that brother or sister who is hurting or failing or discouraged. Every believer needs us, needs to be lifted up and supported. Every believer needs mercy and needs help and needs you. They're not just gifts. We call them gifts of the Spirit For a reason, it's a manifestation of the Spirit. It's true spiritual help that encourages others to to look to Christ. And that's what we do with our gifts. That's what we're aiming. We're sending them to Christ to look to him again and to run to him and to, to rest in him and to strengthen their faith in Jesus Christ. Because in the end, it's our faith that gets the victory, as Scripture says. Why? Because it's in Christ who is the author and the finisher of our faith. We're more than conquerors through him who loved us. Through him who loved us. 
And is it not wonderful that there's there's one other gift that God has given to us, one other means of grace he's given to us to strengthen in our faith that pictures so well what I just said of him who, who loved us. And it's the Lord's Supper. Why did God give us the Lord's Supper? To strengthen us. And to remind us again and again of the greatest gift of all. The salvation that our Savior has won for us. That our right standing before God, we are reminded again by the Supper, is a gift. The Lord's Supper is always pointing us to what Christ has done and what we could not do for ourselves. That it's Christ that died a death that you and I could not endure. That it's Christ that settled that that debt of sin that you and I could not pay. That Christ has won a victory for us that we could not gain for ourselves. The Lord's Supper is all about what, what was achieved by Christ is to be received by faith. That's the way we receive gifts. That's the way we receive this gift this evening, that Christ has done it. And the Supper reminds us that this is all about Christ, that he's the one who has fulfilled. He is the one who has accomplished he is the one who has paid, who has satisfied, and who has finished. That everything that you need to be right with God is pictured on this table. And you can improve upon it. You cannot find a greater righteousness than is pictured by the sacrificial death of Christ. You cannot find a more perfect obedience. You cannot find a greater love or a greater redemption than what we have symbolized in the Lord's Supper. All you have to do is to receive it. By faith. Christ gave us the Lord's Supper to encourage us in our faith. He gave us the Supper to establish our faith. He gave us the Supper to fat in a flame, the weakest of faith. It's a gift. It's a gift that is extended only to those who believe in Jesus Christ. But it's a gift that is extended to all who believe in Jesus Christ. So as we think upon these verses, with the gifts of the Spirit God has given to us, let us encourage one another in faith. That is, to be mutually encouraged in our faith in Christ. But with regard to the gift of gifts, Jesus Christ, let us receive that gift in faith and love And be encouraged in our faith, both yours and mine. Let us pray.